Hello and welcome to the Open Fire Podcast, a series of podcasts focusing on the fire safety industry and tackling the current issues facing responsible persons in the commercial and residential sectors. We will be discussing the latest innovations from a variety of specialist fire safety manufacturers looking at the lessons learnt from the terrible Grenfell tragedy from a year ago and taking the views of some of the fire industry's most prominent and recognised leaders. My name's Dave Calvert, an independent fire consultant. With me to discuss the latest fire news, I have fire expert, pundit, whizkid and alpha geek, Mr Tom Gilbert. How are you, Tom? I'm wonderful, David. How are you? I'm not too bad. I feel we need to announce that we're in uh, new studios this week. We, d- we do. I think what's really important is that everyone needs to know this was the first take as well. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a second take in any way, shape or form. This, we're going straight into it. It's very, very soon going to be about the fourth take. Absolutely. So we are in a brand new surrounding. State of the art studio. It's fantastic. And for the it? first time we're video recording. We're videoing it. Um, we're going to stick it on YouTube. We are. And, and iTunes. people can generally be unkind about our physical appearance and stuff like that. Absolutely. Hopefully they'll cut quite tight in on the faces. So they don't Hopefully. See yeah. Anything from the here. neck down or from the chin up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we're also very shortly, um, we've had a lot of people asking where they can get hold of our podcast. Um, up till now, we, we, we've been a bit un- inundated um, in terms of the response from episodes one and two. And we weren't quite prepared to be on iTunes and uh, various other platforms. But very shortly, this will, will, will be out um, on iTunes for a regular download. Absolutely. We listen to our listeners. And we, we listen to our listeners. We got an email through and, and someone said... Dave, how do I download this and we regularly and don't we, miss it? We didn't think that through, really, did we? Well, to be fair, we didn't think anyone was going to listen other than our parents. No, but the feedback's been overwhelming. It has. And, and, and we're quite excited about all that, aren't we? We've had, what, three listens now? <laughs> no, I think we've been We're in quite, the hundreds, which is quite impressive. Considering the content of the first two episodes, I think we've absolutely nailed it. And oh, we're I'm getting a lot pleased. of support from the industry. So what's... What have we got lined up for this week's show, Tom? So um, we, we've had lots of um, requests about this particular subject. It's very topical. Um, so we're going to talk about fire doors um, this week. Um, and we've got a special guest in, um, a guy called Danny White, who many out there will know of. Um, and he's an independent fire door expert, and he'll be talking to us a little bit later in the show about fire doors. Um, before we get there though there's a lot of people who tuned into episode one and episode two who are going to want to know a little bit about your homework Dave my homework yep do you want to remind us yeah absolutely so every week we set Dave some homework Um, it's ultimately a PhD level assignment it it was a toughie this week it was a tough one Um, so um, this week uh, Dave's um, homework was to identify what cheese was the most fire retardant. And that stemmed from the question relating to Samuel Pepys in the Great Fire of London burying his Parmesan. And we wondered, why did he bury his Parmesan? Surely did did he need to bury his Parmesan? Yeah, Exactly. So we wondered if he had other cheeses, would he have needed to bury it? So that was kind of the question. You've gone away. Okay, so extensive research. Firstly, I found, terrifyingly, most cheeses are very difficult to set fire to. Are they? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think, well, I mean, all these years we've been talking about asbestos and things like that. We should have been possibly uh, considering the use of cheese. Really? Um, Which even is surprising because milk is very flammable. Um, <laughs> you didn't set me and milk yogurt. as a homework. You asked me about yeah. cheese. That's true. It's okay. not me Don't be throwing other it's... dairy products into the podcast <laughs> at the last minute trying to throw me. So even a single layer of square yellow sandwich cheese, so like that craft cheese. Yeah. 
Um, it won't catch fire with a, when a Bunsen burner is applied to it. Did you get a Bunsen burner? I got a Bunsen burner, put it to it, and you would assume it would either melt to some sort of liquid or catch fire or something. doesn't do either of them. It just goes um, slightly black and nice. like a little bit just looks a little bit disappointing. So it's really. very fire retardant then, is what you're telling me. Well, possibly. But, so, this got me thinking, why the hell not? Why did it not collapse into, um, you know, liquid? And why did it not catch fire? If you look on, do a little bit of research, I've got to say the briefest of research. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a plethora of YouTube videos posted with outraged Americans raging over why their cheese won't burn. Really? Yep, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there with them with a piece of craft cheese setting a light to it with a with a with a Bunsen burner or something like that and saying this is disgusting. It must be because it's all full of E numbers, asbestos, halogens and all these other things. Why and and we're eating this yellow substance. Are we mad and all this kind of thing? Sure. Very angry, angry people. Um so is it are we putting some sort of awful chemical petri dish into our sandwiches this, this is what this is where the homework went um, well in short no it's, it's down to very simple chemistry um, if you think about what cheese is which is essentially congealed bovine mammary secretion most often produced by adding enzymes derived from animal stomachs and various strains of bacteria sure there's actually a magic component in there of processed cheese, which is emulsifying salt. Either phosphate salts or sodium citrate, which is derived from citric acid. Totally natural in limes, lemons, all that kind of stuff. In a nutshell, emulsifying salts help to bind the fats, proteins and water in cheese, which allow it to melt into a smooth substance without separating into oil and seized milk proteins and thereby not burning. That is possibly... The most fascinating thing I've heard well, in the, the last the, three seconds. The, the, the point of it is, is it helps to protect the cheese from bacteria that ah. causes botulism and things like that. Fantastic. So, so, so all these angry people, um, angry at the fact that their cheese won't burn, is is actually due to the fact that it also won't give you botulism, which is quite a nice thing. That's quite helpful. So, I did a little bit more research to actually answer the question. Um, cheese can actually catch fire, catch fire, but it usually has to dehydrate first. So if you turn it into a dry powder, um, or at least carbonate, it will start to carbonise rather than burn. Okay. Um, there's been some very well documented cases. Um, I found at least two fire, two major roads being closed due to fires of lorries full of cheese catching I, fire in 2013. I just expected you to set fire to a bit of cheddar, Dave. No, th- this is what you get. You get the maximum effort with the minimum results from me, Tom. <laughs> well, you're not kidding. <laughs> so where are these road crashes? So in 2013, a road tunnel in Norway was closed by a lorry load of burning cheese, about 27 tonnes of caramelised brown goat cheese. Um, so it's firefighting goats again, Brunos. Dave. Yeah, back to the goats, Tom. Back to the goats. They've been in every episode so far. Well, I have a thing about goats. I, I, yeah, you have. <laughs> Caught light as it was being driven through the Bratty Tunnel in northern Norway. Then in April 2017, thousands of pounds of cheese went up in flames after a, a semi-truck in Wisconsin, very famous for cheese, caught fire on a highway. The truck was carrying £20,000 of Kraft and Velveeta cheese when the driver realised the vehicle's brakes were on fire. Um, <laughs> and the fire chief described it um, almost like petrol if it gets hot enough. Was this the petrol in the 
vehicle that, rather that, than a Jeep. That, that's what that, it was like an accelerant. Oh, I see. Okay. So the answer, anyway, after all that, the answer to your homework question, yes, is actually um, who can be crowned the most fire resistant cheese? Yes. Uh, the answer is sausage cheese. Sausage cheese. Sausage cheese. This, I'm assuming, is not cheese shaped like a sausage or indeed cheese that tastes of sausages. This is cheese that's in sausages. So butcher's stuff. Indeed. So, so yeah. I, I give the credit to um, a, a food writer, Cassie Danewood, writing. Thanks, I found Cassie. this online on Our Everyday Life. Sausage makers often include cheese in their products to add taste and texture, as we know, because regular cheese melts too easily and adversely affects the sausage shape. High temperature cheddar, hot pepper, and mozzarella cheese, specifically made for sausages, are sold in quarter inch cubes and resist melting under typical smokehouse temperatures of up to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. That is amazing. Like the same temperature as. That's the lead. same as lead alloys. Yeah. Wow. It, it, that, so, so that I think is, is, is sausage cheese. That is, gets the crown. That is good enough for me. So we need to find a sausage cheese manufacturer and give them their award. Are you happy with my homework this week? Do you know what? I'll give you a B for attainment, but an A for effort. I bloody went for it this week, didn't you I? You did. You did well. It, to be fair, if there were videos of you setting fire to cheese, I'd be more impressed. I think a lot of the evidence you've done there has been youtube based I didn't want the, the, the London Fire Brigade criticising our lack of um, fire safety with me setting fire to cheese in my garage. It would be a bit embarrassing as a fire consultant if you burnt your house down. It would be an awkward one, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Wonderful. We'll come up with some other homework for you. In fact, I deserve homework this week, Dave. I'll have a think. All right, you keep it going as we go because we need to um, we need to talk about um, the important bit of the show, really, don't we? We do need to move on to serious subjects. Um, and you probably got the question. I have a question. Go on then. About fire doors to kick us off, Tom. Go on then. My question to you. What the actual fuck is going on with fire doors at the moment? I mean, that is a wonderful question. That is a quite a broad question, yeah. It is broad, but topical. Yeah, indeed. Um, so obviously our next guest will give us a little bit of an insight, but in answer to your question about the whole what the fuck is going on with fire doors thing, um, I always promise I wouldn't swear, but you set the precedent. Um, so obviously we've had the Grenfell Tower disaster 18, 19 months ago now. Um after that fire, the um, Metropolitan Police did some testing of fire doors in Grenfell Tower, um, and they identified that the Mance Master Door, which was fitted, failed at 15 minutes and not the 30 minutes that it should have failed at, which obviously has created a huge amount of drama in the fire safety industry. Lots of people coming out the woodwork saying, we've known about this for yonks and yonks. Unfortunately, one of the guys in the room with us is one of those people. Um, and... Although some people in the industry also think it's a bit of a red herring, though controversial, we'll talk about that later on. Um, the the community secretary, James Brockages, said that the risk to housing remains low. So we kind of worry, why is everyone panicking then if it's low risk? But, you know, as a critical building feature, is low the right thing? I don't know. Um, we then had further tests where um, another five organisations um, other than Mance um, were identified as having doors that failed, and that was Specialist Building Products Limited, who were trading as Permador, Solar Windows Limited, and Burtley Group tra trading as Bowwater by Burtley. And a lot of the problem, aside from installation, and uh, our next guest will correct me, I'm sure, is about the fact that they haven't been testing both sides of the door, which is particularly a problem in composites. Um, so to, to, that leads quite nicely in, I think, to our, our 
our guest. So our guest this week is is um, I've got Mr. Daniel White here, but we all know him, of course, as Danny Danny White, um, who's the managing director of a company called Firedoor Compliance Consultants Limited. Um, Danny spent twenty years working for a leading firedoor manufacturer. Of course, we can't say who they were. It was Gerda. Uh, then <laughs> set up his own company due to what he perceived to be gaps in the market. Um, Danny is how, co- how big were those gaps in the market? They average? were probably bigger than three mil. <laughs> Um, would be my guess um, Danny's covered under UCAS accredited schemes BM Trada um, for installation and third party certification for maintenance as well um, Danny doesn't carry out any physical works which enables him to be independent and so clients use him to check installations and ensure they're correct um, he can also carry out maintenance surveys and drop schedules but again doesn't carry any corrective work so he can never be accused of being anything other than entirely impartial which works for us doesn't it Dave I think it's um, uh, yeah absolutely little known fact is his favourite song is Come On Baby Like My Fire by The Doors um, so here you are Danny White how are you I'm very well thank you thank you for coming to our wonderful studio hello Danny H- hello Dave and you told me it was going to be a karaoke session so <laughs> slightly perturbed about that but let's continue we're going to ask you some questions we've got some questions that we've we've put together we've also got some questions from our listeners who we went out onto LinkedIn and asked some questions we actually had an amazing response on uh, as soon as we, we mentioned did. we were doing fire doors we've had quite a lot of emails come through yeah can you um, ask your expert this we, we, we're going to try and go through a few of them whilst we've got Danny here absolutely and I think the, the big the big question that everyone has got I think is about certification and the different sorts of certification and people are banding around certain words around certification like global assessment and certifier and primary test evidence and to be honest I don't think a lot of clients really get it yet and I thought maybe you could kind of give us a bit of a brief outline as to what is the difference between primary test evidence and all the others. Right. Thank you. Well, I'll try and make it as simplistic as possible, just to keep you guys happy. Thanks, because we are simple people, (laughs) Dave, aren't we? Um, In effect, you've got the primary test evidence, and that means a door manufacturer has taken the time and spent the money to actually have his door burnt, which is quite an unusual concept in the fire door industry. So you are certain that what they're producing... Has been you're, you're saying it's been furnace. in a furnace, yeah, yeah. And, okay. and it's performed to 30 or 60 minutes. Okay. So that is what I would highly recommend. And I'd also look at people going down the third-party certification route to ensure that what they've had burned is what they've had tested. Sure. So, that, so is that the, 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 the top standard, Danny, as far as you're concerned? That's ultimately the best choice? That's the best choice. And if I had my way, it would be the only standard. Okay. So that means I've gone out and I've started a door company taken my door to a testing laboratory like i don't know bre or yeah. warrington yeah and gave them my door installed it into a, into a furnace set fire to it and they say yeah it passed the test here's a certificate and then i can go and build 100 million doors flog them all with my certification and say that's the door and it's been tested that's primary test evidence that's correct yes okay and that's what we think is the best that is the best because it's proof okay fantastic so what are my other options then well the other options are and i'm going to be asking a few questions sure um i'll start with you tom good what's your have you ever been involved in manufacturing uh in a in a diy sort of way yes yeah that's good and um, yeah. dave what, what, hang on, what sort of DIY sort of a way? I've sorted some stuff up. You sorted some stuff up? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I put some concrete down. I think that um, doesn't make you a competent person with DIY. Does it not? No. Well, I could still start a company. I think that's where we're going. 
Shall we? Yeah, that's where we're going. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Dave, have you got a shed? Uh, yeah, I have got a shed, Danny. So now we have competency on the tools yeah. and we have a manufacturing facility. We do. Happy days. Excellent. So in a couple of hours, we're going to start producing millions of doors for the marketplace. But could we solve 100,000? Because I'm a bit tired. It's, you know, it's late. Is it? Yeah. Um, okay. Over time? All right, fine. Okay, good. So what we then do is we go back to the door blank manufacturer who's had his tests... He's had his doors tested. Okay. And we say... In a furnace. In a furnace. Okay. Can we have your data, please? And he says, yeah, all right, as long as you promise to do what you're supposed to do. Okay. And then we'll go to a test house and say, we got this, and we promise to manufacture in accordance with that. Can you write us a global assessment? He'll say, yep, thank you very much. Pay our checks, and we're ready to go. Really? So that's one type. The other type is where you have certain schemes where it's a bit more piecemeal. Okay. So you can buy your door blank from A. Yeah. Your frame from B. Yeah. Your intermittent seals from C and all your ironmongery from D. They've probably all been tested in their own right, but not as a complete unit. Okay. But don't worry about that because we can manufacture it and put it under a certification scheme. Okay. That's... That's quite interesting. So basically, on those terms, we can basically sell certificated door sets, having not set fire to anything yes. in, in situation one. So I go to someone that says, have you tested a 44 mil wood blank? And they say, yes, here's my test evidence, and I can just go and create a 44 mil wood blank. Yeah. And I think this is very pertinent at the moment based on- I don't have to use their doors. No. Nope just build it to the same specification yeah. that they got so tested. What, what are we talking in terms of what building regs or laws must be adhered to? Because it sounds like there's a massive gap between what seems good practice and, and what some people will do compared to what you could actually get away with. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the second category there, how are they or are they still are they still adhering to the existing building regs or the appropriate laws because there's no proper regulation of the fire door industry okay which has been a concern for a long time i think if you look at the likes of electrics gas asbestos it's heavily regulated yeah of course but with fire fire doors just yeah. go and do it and to be fair that extends into the majority of fire safety related work anyway doesn't it you know yeah. you don't have to be accredited to do fire stopping work you don't have to be accredited to be a fire risk assessor uh, and on and on. Obviously, there's manufacturing requirements around fire alarms and things like that, and, and fire extinguishers and things like that. But um, yeah, as you say, there's not, there's no proper policing, is there? No. But yet we have a national fire service. <coughs> we don't have a national asbestos service or things like that. So there is something I think fundamentally wrong with the regulation of the fire door industry, which yeah. need to be looked at. Because when we start manufacturing this afternoon, as long as we do everything that document says we comply with the building regulations for fire. Now, there are other regulations we have to look at, but some a lot of people are turning a blind eye to that. So things like thermal, acoustics, security, which your new builder's got the same weight as fire. But let's not worry about that because yeah. we can fudge the issue around that. And because the specifiers don't understand, the clients don't know, and in certain instances, building control don't know, mm. we can easily brush that under the carpet and we can get our fire doors so when you consider all the aspects that doors have to pass on top of just the fire bit, are there any organisations that have actually met everything in a primary test evidence situation? There are a few. Literally uh, a few? Yeah. Okay. I, I could probably name six or seven. Okay. Um, Out of how many manufacturers? Thousands. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? I'm astonished. 
I mean, you look astonished. <laughs> you look astonished. I think but that need- is ridiculous, isn't it? When you think there are thousands of companies that you can go and buy fire doors from and there are only six or seven that a BM trial, the certificated person so would what, say. So what should people do, Tom, if they want to know who those six or seven are? Well, I mean, obviously they can email us at <laughs> Tom and Dave at theopenfirepodcast.com. In fact, it's probably <laughs> Dave and Tom. It's not Tom and Dave, is it? Uh, it's Dave and Tom. Of course it is. You always go first. At, well, Tom I always Jerry. go first. At yes. openfire.com. <laughs> exactly. It's one of your specialties. Um, so, yeah, you could always come to us and, and we'll talk about it. But the reality is that you can go and talk to any manufacturer and say, listen, talk to me about your, your test evidence. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not onerous to ask for that, is it? No, and some people will not want you to have it because understandably it's their crown jewels and they've actually gone down the route of having it properly tested if people are saying that i turn around and say okay come down we'll sit in a room and we'll go through your test reports yeah and if they won't do that i would have to question why not okay um and at the end of the day we had it with one um i was uh, working for one uh, local authority and the door manufacturer wanted the client to go to them as opposed to them coming to the client oh really and the client just said well if you can't be bothered see you later <laughs> Well, standard and close the door Danny we have um, I said we had quite a few questions coming we're going to try and um, cover a few of them um, this one was from uh, Neil Ashdown who emailed us um, Neil Ashdown from Fire Doors Complete Limited is he related to Paddy Ashdown uh, yes he is yeah is he's he? his uh, dad oh is he he's his dad <laughs> sorry Neil um, so it, it's it's a bit of a long question Um as certificated fire door inspectors, we often refer to third-party certification data sheets and helpfully the certifier ones Dave. are available freely online. Yes, Tom? Can, I think people think this question is too long. Can you do it? It in, is quite a long question. Can you do it in a voice? Uh, in, a, in a voice. <laughs> do it in a voice. Okay. What voice would you like me to read it in? Um, I was thinking... Pa- would you like me to read it in Neil Ashdown's voice? <laughs> Paddy Ashdown's voice, please. <laughs> See if you can do that. I, I don't know. What can you do it in Brian Blessed? and <laughs> Sunlight. <laughs> However, the information regarding installation and use Perfect. of essential hardware stated on the data sheets often varies to that used by the third-party certificated Dorset manufacturer. I, I like it. I'm intrigued now. I'm listening. <laughs> For example, hinge positions, the certified data sheets. <laughs> I can't read this. Okay. This question it, is going on a little... Let me just finish off with the... Um, let me just finish off with the um, actual point of the question. Do Exova, uh, BM Charter, which I, I think you're a part of, Danny, uh, recognised or... Sorry, accredited by... <laughs> Uh, recognise the door court manufacturer's technical manual as equivalent to the certifier data sheet and will Exova BM Trader be addressing this issue? Let me turn it into a simple question. Then. I think that would help, Tom. Okay, so my interpretation of that question is ultimately certifier have got a door and as a fire door inspector, you're looking at that door and on the certifier installation instructions, it says put a hinge in the middle of the door. But yet the installer has put the hinge 200 mil from the top of the door, which is what the question says, right? That's exactly what I said. (laughs) So, obviously, what he's then saying is, if you go to the manufacturer's data, the manufacturer says it's been tested with a hinge 200 mil from the top, but the certified document says install it in the middle of the door. So I think what um, Neil's saying there is, 
is who's his right, who has president. Now, my assumption is, if you want certify certification, you've got to do it the certify way. If you want the other certification, you've got to do it the other way. So what's, what's the right answer? You're sort of correct in what you said there, because if you're looking at the certified document, what the certified document says is basically, if you don't do it how we tell you to do it, the certified document is invalid. Okay. So that's that. If the installers are using the door man- or door blank manufacturer's data, he could be putting things in which are in contravention to the door blank manufacturer's test data. Okay. So from that point of view, you could be both wrong. And that's why it makes more sense and peace of mind to go for primary tested doors, because okay. then you know. Brilliant. So in terms of the problems where you've got organisations that have got door blanks, certify schemes, all this sort of stuff in existence, and people are looking at them and saying, that's a problem, that's not a problem. What we're basically saying is, um, I don't know what we're saying. I've lost complete track of what we're saying about fire doors now. No, no, I think Danny's hit, hit yeah, yeah. on the head. Um, Great. So just use the plastificated <laughs> doors and be done with it, really. Yeah. And if you've got old ones, then the next question we're going to have, which um, comes from Matt Wood, actually, um, which is quite pertinent. Um, Matt asks, um, he's a very nice guy, Matt. Um, the question is about upgrading or replacement. And he basically says, with so many, uh, emph- so much emphasis on data trails these days, which he believes is okay, is it better to replace it rather than adequately repair it um, and then he starts talking about um, the consideration of time going through procurement. But I think we can sort of eradicate the procurement aspect because you can just go to a framework, can't you? Just get yeah. third-party certificated doors of any manufacturer. Um, but I think there's a good question there. Repair or replace well, pros I, and cons? I, I think it's a, it's a pertinent question because I, I think there's a misunderstanding of what upgrading a fire door means. Okay. Um, for example, uh, many, many years ago, I got called to a block of flats um, because there was an urgent problem. And basically, the door was lying in the hallway. And we thought, oh, that doesn't seem very good. But it was a traditional door from possibly the 1960s, 70s, old London City Council type door. And we started asking the question, what happened to this door to make it fall through sort of so easily? Um, and we were informed that there were... Um, a couple outside who were getting rather um, amorous with each other. Um, and were very, very Fr- fruity. <laughs> and it got a bit too fruity and they fell through. I don't the like door. the way you say fruity, Tom. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> so having fallen through the door, it caused a bit of an issue, especially when they could have just banged on the door. But then they were, so uh, the way we go with it. It does one. bring a new meaning to banging, banging on, on the, the door. door. Yeah, yeah, of course yeah. it does, yeah. But, but what it means is, yeah, what was that door, what was it? What was it made up of? What were the glues like? How was it jointed together? Yeah. And I think the issue being, people talk about, well, if you put an intermittent seal in and you upgrade the hinges and you do X, Y and Z to it, well, what are you actually achieving? Yeah, absolutely. You're spending money on doing something, but you don't really know what your starting point was. And it's not a lot cheaper, is it, really? No. I've seen some cost analysis where you're looking at possibly between 50 and 100 quid difference between an upgrade, which gets you nothing, as opposed to a fully tested and certified door set. Fantastic. The other area where you can potentially do repairs to a door is under a maintenance regime from a third-party certification scheme, but that means you have to have data on the door. And it could be things like the intermittent seals are broken, we need to replace them. Okay. We're not talking about we've got a solid door, we're going to cut into the door because by cutting into the door you can fundamentally uh, fundamentally weaken that structure. Because it might have been tested. 
And if it has, it probably didn't have a hole in the door. Nah. Yeah. Have you got any more questions, Dave? I've got a, um, another question from, uh, this time it's from Andy Cunningham. Andy contacted us on LinkedIn um, for a change. Um, so Andy's uh, posted a question for us. Anyone following us on LinkedIn will have seen it. Um, Danny, have they considered how to manage or track the removal of internal door closers in social housing? Um, just obviously just one removal essentially reduces the fire safety integrity of that building, allowing corridors to smoke log. What's the purpose of blocks of facts guidance say about door closers, Dave? What does it say? Um, in lieu of I, all the places, actually, look at his face. I, I, can, I know what you I mean now. You, I can tell you. I know what you mean now. Um, well, I think as as we feel that it's very much almost the single most important part of a fire door. If you, if you can't upgrade anything else, then um, on and sh- stick a self closer on it, and it's better than nothing because it keeps the door closed. And even if that door only lasts Absolutely. for four minutes. That's four, four minutes, minutes longer, longer than if it's left open. A 60-minute door left open has less fire resistance than a four-minute door that's closed, doesn't indeed, it? Indeed, indeed. So we like self-closers is what we're saying. We do. Other No, there aren't any other ways of closing a door. It has to be a self-closer. I was going to say more self-closers are available, but we didn't mention a manufacturer, so it's fine. So is this a problem you've come up against, uh, Danny? It's a massive problem, um, and I think it, it happens for a variety of reasons. That firstly, that the door manufacturer or the installers don't fully understand the purpose of the door closer and how to get the tolerance gaps right. Because you have to bear in mind that we have to adhere to the Equalities Act of 2010 to make sure that people can open and close properly yep. and there's BS 8300. Yeah. And you, you need to open and close it with something like a 30 Newton force. If they get too tight, people get annoyed with them and they just take them off because they're struggling to open and close them which also can become a health and safety policy uh, issue because you can't actually open the door when you need yeah. to get out um, but also that some of the ones that sit on the back of the doors the older types people don't like them because they look ugly and they mm. just take them yeah. off um, and I don't think that there's enough education out there why they're on there the fundamentals okay. of it is if there's a fire in your flat you get out and you don't have to worry about they are seen as a nuisance more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth of note. Um, Andy Andy Cunningham posted the question um, of, of of Light for Life. Um, he he has actually he's working on a design a device uh, an invention. We like innovators on this program. Man with a shed. Um, he, he's asked us not to release details of it, but um, he's he's working on something at the moment. I think Andy Cunningham from Light for Life. We need to get him on the show, Tom. Okay, and we can ask him about it. Okay. Let's ask. Let's get what, him. What do you think his device is going to do? Do you think it's possibly the old bucket of water on top of the door? <laughs> think he'll electrocute anyone trying to take the self? I mean, off? I think we've got we've got applying a little bit of logic to it. Bearing in mind that you can buy a car now that will park itself, and that we're flying stuff to the moon. Still, you know, why can't we come up with some electronic device that might tell her stop people uh, pissing around with self closers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. BIM or you know building management systems that sort of thing BMS I think we'll Easy. put an invite out to Andy and get him yeah let's on, get him in he'll come in the next soon. couple of weeks yeah, he I, hasn't I, got I, anything on in his shed <laughs> and he can I tell us all about life for life can't he he can absolutely I suppose the last question before we go towards the end of the show would be um, we, we talked about the door manufacturers we've talked about certification we've talked about whether you should upgrade or replace um, but we haven't really talked about installation and the competency of people installing. 
And I got a good question from a client actually the other day, which you and me had a little bit of a chat about. And this was about um, kitchen doors, you know, which need to be fire rated inside flats. And the question was, do we need to use third party certificated door sets? And do we need to use a third party certificated installer, so like a fire ass certificated installer? And th- th- you then start thinking, well, actually, you're getting different degrees of assurance with the actual installation of the door as well. So it doesn't just stop at, is my door certificated? You've also got to think about the person putting the door in the hole. Um, what's your experience with that? I mean, is is Firas or a, a another third party certification installation scheme a panacea? Is that the way you've got to go? It's a better way of going, and the reason I say that, if we go back to our global assessments, that the installation has to adhere to the global assessment, and if it doesn't, indicates anything. Yeah, and I've I've seen sort of thousands of doors where. I've been asked to go along and inspect, and the first thing I say is, can I take off the architrave, please? Yeah. And I had a eureka moment. What do you think architrave is there for? It's, is it just to hide bad installation? Absolutely. Yes, do I get a prize? And the amount of times you see all this pinky foam stuff yeah. in there and it's not sealed properly. How often does it hide good installation as a percentage? I'd say half a percent. Wow. So we reckon 99.5% of all doors is bad, pretty much. Yeah. I might be conserved and say 98%. Okay, fantastic. Because there could be some going in there very quickly. That is pretty impressive, though, when you think about it. Yeah. And sometimes you you open up, you take off the architrave, and you can see into the front room. And you're thinking, that's not great. Absolutely. And so with the third-party certification schemes, they've been on a a level of training. And so they understand the importance of it. But again, like the third-party certification schemes for manufacturer, they get audited, and if they're not doing it properly, they lose their license. But again, it's peace of mind that instead of getting a, I don't know, there's a contract going on, the painter and decorator hasn't got much work on at the moment, oh, let's get them yeah. in vitals, you're getting proper people to do Absolutely. it. Because if you're going to the expense of installing a f- proper vital, yeah. get it done properly. Well, we're talking about a £1,000 piece of art, aren't we? That's yeah. what we're talking about. Absolutely. And yet we're going to try and install it for as cheap as we possibly can, which just yeah. seems a little bit counterproductive. And if you were sticking in a fire alarm system or a sprinkler system, who would you let install that? Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't you'd get your get... local painter do it, would you? No. No. But... Interesting. Yeah. But I think that, you know, when you're, again, when you're looking at global assessments, it is the installation which is critical to ensuring that bit of paper is any good or not and what i've seen is everything that i've been looked at it's failed okay so ultimately the advice if you're not going to use third-party certificated people make sure whoever's doing it is competent chippy maybe it's a good start and importantly they read the installation instructions yes that's um, the critical bit in it reading the instructions because they're not all the same are they it's not just reading the installation instructions it's actually carrying out what the installation instructions says yes indeed because when you go on site and it says the fixing centers have to be at 600 to me that means the fixing centers have to be at 600 and when you're arguing on site well why have you put it at 620 well it's 20 mil outside well doesn't really matter because the document says 600 yeah absolutely so therefore do it at 600 do you want to be the guy arguing and, your case and, and with all due just respect how much an additional fixing cost that 5p yeah exactly yeah it's just ridiculous isn't it but this is the problem it's what we live in isn't it it is yes and things are sort of done on the cheap now hopefully the dynamics are changing a bit yeah and there has to be a realistic price to install a fire door as opposed to trying to chuck in as many as quickly as possible yeah. to earn your money um i've come across companies who have to install six fire doors a day to, to earn any money where you should be looking at one in the morning one in the afternoon yeah exactly yeah because it, it takes time right time has beaten us this week um 
Danny. That was really interesting. I, I feel yeah, better about that. I'm really pleased Danny came in. And I, and I genuinely think perhaps this is a subject we need to pick up again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I want to get a manufacturer in. It'd be interesting to get some of the manufacturers in. Um, Aren't we going to come as manufacturers? We could. We could be a manufacturer. Maybe we could argue. We might as well. Everyone else is. So, uh, Tom, yeah. Dave and Danny Doors <laughs> Limited. All of our clients are looking to replace their doors at the moment, aren't they? Yep. Because they've been installed badly historically. So so we'll put, we'll put a call to arms, really, and say, manufacturers, if you're listening, drop us a line. If you want to come on. Um, come and talk uh, to us. Yeah, I think um, it's... Uh, is the subject at the moment. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, Danny, you might want to come back. Maybe. Yeah, we yeah. might bring you back, Danny, and then you can put a few questions to them for us. As long as you get me some cheese. Okay, we will. Uh, <laughs> and a parking space for my ox. Exactly. <laughs> nice. You've been listening, Danny, haven't you? <laughs> it's important. It's really important. So, well, thanks very much, Danny. Um, Dave, are you going to... Um, have you given me some homework? you given me homework Right, okay. So, I've been thinking, um, after my homework last week, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework yourself. Okay. I've put together a cliffhanger question for you while you've been talking to Danny. Thank you. Um, so, this is based on what we were talking about earlier, about the melting the cheese. Okay. And I'm going to give you a question and see how you deal with it. Danny, you can answer as well. Oh, you want us to answer it now? Okay, so this is based on, yes, you, you can answer it now, yeah. Okay. So this is based on, uh, it's called it a Melting Games Inquiry Showcase. Um, you have, um, I want to know what order these substances will melt quickest, okay? So I'm going to give you the following six substances, and I want you to tell me which one has the lowest melting point. In this other words- This is going to be a QI thing, isn't it? We're going to answer it, and it's going to be wrong. No, no, we're just testing your okay. fire safety- your fire safety knowledge, Tom. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the uh, six, the seven objects just recounted are, I want you to put in order of okay. which will melt the quickest, in other words, liquefy, compared to why, okay. which ones will just sit there and hold their shape until it reaches a higher temperature, yeah? Okay. Cheese. What type? Joking. Next. Butter. Which brand? Joking. Chocolate. Uh, dark milk or white? <laughs> Joking, it's fine. I, I, I need to say that this was based on some very ju- a very dubious experiment by okay. some students. Okay, so I'm giving you so parameters. I, here. I'm holding no real okay. kind of authority here. So cheese, butter, chocolate. Yeah, a bar of soap. Which brand? Liquid hand soap. A chapstick. Which brand? A gummy bear. Which brand? What colour? I'm not telling you the brands. I'm not telling you there's no, okay. there's no or a crayon. A crayon. Okay, so which all fire retardant crayons do, do you ones? think? Will last the longest. Okay. I know the one that will last the least has got to be chocolate because every time my kid gets a chocolate bar, it's everywhere, all over the place very quickly. So you think chocolate will melt quickest, uh, Danny? Tom, what do you think will melt first? Um, At the lowest temperature? Logically, I would say butter because out of all of those things, it is the softest at room temperature. Okay. That would be my guess first, butter. So butter would melt first. What, what, what's your Is the butter coming that? out of the fridge? <laughs> is it cold butter? <laughs> it's not speedy. So I would say, logically, butter is the softest at room temperature, so butter, then chocolate, because that, you know, warm up the room a little bit more, it's going to start to melt. Three, chapstick, I guess, because, you know, in your pocket, it's going to start going soft. Um, I'd then go crayon, because you can melt them with a hairdryer. Um, I was then going to say cheese. I think that's going to be wrong, but alas, we'll go with cheese then a bar of soap and then I would say gummy bear at the end 
and applying logic to all of those things, that's the order I would go in. But I get the feeling they're all in the wrong order. Based on the Melting Games Inquiry Showcase experiment, you didn't get one of those in wow. the right position. <laughs> that is impressive. Do you, do you want to know the order? I would, well, I, I would... You'll have I to would. bloody tune in next week, Tom, wow. and I will tell you what order... Fantastic. They come in. The only reason we didn't get them in the right order because we don't have a board to play about with. Exactly, and we could talk about it. Yes. Um, so, um, in closing, then, Dave, who's um, who's on next week's show? Okay, so next week we're focusing on the younger generation of fire consultants. We've got um, two up and coming uh, brilliant stars of the industry, Lucy Witz and Pincho Studenkov, and we're going to be asking them what it's like to. Um, uh, joining our industry uh, currently, what their challenges they're facing, where they're going, and where they've come from. So we've got two youths, someone from Europe, and a girl. Indeed, we've got um, yeah, right on mixed bag next week. See if Fantastic. we can set them. No, that'll be really good. Um, that's cool. What's the email address, Dave? Okay, if anybody wants to write to us, any comments on what Danny has said today, if you agree, disagree, or if you would like to come on the show, um, if you have any questions for. Pencho and Lucy next week. Any comments regarding um, your experiences in the fire safety industry? Please email us. Uh, email us at Dave and Tom, all one word. Dave and Tom at openfirepodcast.com and we'll pick up your email and we will respond. Yeah, we do and have. We have indeed. Proof. And um, you can follow us on the www.openfirepodcast.com. Um, and we're gradually spreading out onto Twitter and other mediums as we go. And hopefully, by the time this goes out, we might be on um, BBC News. Who? Well, BBC News did actually copy our news item on goats. They did. I've got to say, they did. We did that first. It looks like we copied them, but, but we, we bl- didn't. We they bloody were had us. that first, Tom. Bloody people went BBC. Um, okay, so if you want to be a sponsor or you want to link to our website, again, go through the website um, uh, or email us, Dave and Tom at openfirepodcast.com. And thanks very much, Danny, for coming in. And if you want you. to get hold of Danny, then um, get in touch with us. We'll give you his details and put you straight in touch with him. Absolutely. Great guy to know. Cool. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, guys. See you later.